you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Moutier, and I'm here today with Anushka Vaswani, partner at Lightspeed Venture Partners. How are you today, Anushka? I'm doing very well. Very excited to be on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. So today we will be talking about what venture capitalists look for when investing in tech companies, which uh, is probably a, a very wide topic, but uh, we'll see how we, we, we can tackle that. But before we get into the, the conversation, Anushka, could you please introduce yourself a little bit more to our audience, as well as uh, the company that you represent, Lightspeed Venture Partners? So first on Lightspeed, Lightspeed is a $9 billion venture fund based in Menlo Park. We're global. We have offices in India, China, Europe, and Israel too, and actively invest in all of those geographies. We're also a full stack venture fund. So we're investing out of a $750 million venture fund and a $1.4 billion growth fund today. And so internally, the mission is to be able to partner with every great tech founder looking to build the next generation public company, whether it's, you know, the, your first round of funding, your seed round, or your pre-IPO round. And then the other thing internally, the, the one standard we hold ourselves to is that if we invest, we want the entrepreneur to be able to say that we've meaningfully impacted the trajectory of their business. So mm-hmm. in addition to our investment team that you know works day-to-day with a particular company, we have a whole services org, such as a marketing team, a business development team to help you know, a B2B company potentially crack uh, certain customers that they haven't been able to get into. Let's leverage the Lightspeed network, a talent talent infrastructure team, and then a network of 2,000 CIOs. Okay. And so that's kind of Lightspeed. My background, so I'm a partner here where I focus on our growth stage investing efforts. And so I typically kind of get involved once a company has found product market fit and is really thinking about go-to-market, scaling, you know, when you're at 20 million in ARR and looking to get to 100, what does that journey look like? Prior to Lightspeed, I worked at an early stage firm called Matrix Partners, where, again, I was predominantly focused on enterprise software and fintech. I also got to spend some time as a product manager at Masterclass as the company scaled from 50 to 80 employees. And then okay. I started my career covering tech clients at McKinsey and Goldman. And then, you know, personal background for me, like I come from a family that's moved around a ton. So was born in Dubai, lived in Istanbul for several years, did a short stint in Brussels before moving to the States. And so definitely have like a big appreciation for different people, different backgrounds, different personalities, and really do feel like there isn't, you know, one founder archetype that can create a great business. That makes sense, and and definitely an interesting background. I think you learn a lot when you when you when you travel, particularly at an early age, from uh, from countries to countries. So yeah, definitely an interesting background. So Anushka, Lightspeed is has invested of in over three hundred and fifty companies in the past twenty years, and and obviously in multiple technology sectors. So while I'm sure that there is numerous elements that, that you would take into consideration in your assessment before you, you even make a move or, or you decide that a company is worth investing in, you know, it would be good if you could just take us through what, from your perspective, are those key elements that you are looking at? What what makes a, a company worthwhile the investment? Yeah. So 
I think it differs a little bit on early and growth internally. And so early, you know, sometimes there isn't even a product, you know, you, you're just going based on a team and we spend a lot of time thinking through founder product fit. And so, yeah. you know, what knowledge or skill set can you bring to solving this problem that maybe 50 other people can? Are you uniquely kind of situated to build something here? And then, you know, ultimately, the success of a company is often dependent on the people you hire. Can you as a founding team, you know, hire and attract a world-class team? You know, are you going after a big market? And, you know, if you do have a product, what does that initial product look like? You know, how does it function? Where does it fit? On growth at Lightspeed, I think very different from, you know, other growth stage investors, we take a very venture-oriented lens to everything we do here again, where it really is about kind of team product market first. And then we also will look at, you know, metrics, understand, you know, some of the business and performance fundamentals historically. And then internally, we actually spend a lot of time talking about outlier businesses. And so one thing my partners will really push you on when you're bringing in a company is, can this be an iconic, you know, company? So I think kind of part of that push led us to invest in companies like Snapchat, MuleSoft, AppDynamics, Nutanix, which, you know, have really reshaped the spaces that they're in. And so that's kind of a question that's often asked through the process. Okay. And, and when it comes to valuation, so we, we've seen, a, we've witnessed some valuation, and I guess from, from people that are outside of the the, the VC world, we tend to look at valuation of company and wow, that's a big valuation for a company that may not have done, you know, a, a, a ton yet in the market, or, or, or maybe we consider their revenue and 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 only look at that. So, uh, what's your take on that? Because we 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 do feel that sometimes the the valuation can be a little bit inflated. W- w- would you agree? Would you disagree? What, what's your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I I mean, I definitely think one thing that's true when it comes to valuation is it is pretty dependent on kind of where you are in the market and the market cycle. And I would say the past couple of years, you know, we've been in a really heated market. And so, you know, we will look, for example, at public comps when looking at either a growth or sometimes an early stage deal. But then you spend a lot of time also looking at kind of private comps and like four companies in this category, you know, what has that looked like? And so, it's definitely been a very, very heated competitive market, I would say. And then at the early stage, I think folks often think about, you know, being like a core partner to the founder and think about valuation in terms of a company wants to raise X amount. Ideally, we want to own X amount, which will imply a valuation. At the growth stage, we don't really have ownership targets or thresholds. It really is about being part of a great company. And then at the growth stage, I think you do start to look a little bit more, you know, high growth public comps. And yeah, even yeah. those public comps, if you, you know, think about software, uh, are, are creating, you know, at all time highs right now. And, you know, it does fluctuate month over month. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's something we struggle with. I think it's an interesting yeah, it's, the valuation is depending from where you look at it. You know, I guess if you look at it from the entrepreneur, the valuation has got to be very high. If you look at it from your perspective, it's got to be fair slash, you know, uh, I guess low. And it's got to be, 
it's got deep, deep, difficult, and I'm, and I'm getting into it. You know, my next question is really around uh, around technology, you know, uh, trends and what's innovative, innovative, what was disruptive. But I guess it's got to be even more complex when you are looking at a disruptive technology. That is, you know, we have some vendors that we work with uh, in in different space. It could be big data, it could be cyber, it could be you know even analytics or whatever. We are really kind of creating their marketplace. They are creating their niche and you know, when there is not a market yet, it's got to be even more difficult to assess really what's, what's the actual potential of that company and, and to that extent what the valuation is. But but getting into that uh, that question, I mean, one of the slogans that I, I, I looked at online when doing my research on, on Lightspeed is tomorrow build today. And I'd expect that uh, one of Lightspeed's mission is to be able to identify those innovative technology companies that can disrupt the market. So from your perspective, what are the trends that you look out for to understand if a disruptive ID will actually thrive or fail? Yeah, one question we spend a lot of time in during any investment discussion is around why now? And so mm -hmm. why can this be a massive company today? And why hasn't this been created before? And you know, what does that look like? And so what is that dislocation change trend in the market that is enabling you know this business and and that comes up you know all the time so for example in the UK and Europe PSD2 is a huge kind of regulation that's taken over fintech and so yep. banks now need to allow other companies to basically read someone's kind of account history and read and write transactions to their account and so the proprietary advantage banks had in terms of being able to underwrite or offer a customer products because they were the sole holder of all of a customer's data no longer exists. And so, you know, that that change will enable and is enabling a whole new generation of fintech companies being created, which is fascinating to watch. And so I think those dislocations are things we definitely follow and think about when evaluating and looking at companies. Okay, that makes sense. So ask you a question that is a bit more specific. Well, from your perspective, what are the, the odd technologies that are out there at the moment that will disrupt the market? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there, there are a number. So, I mean, one area I've been very focused on is, you know, over the past like 10, 15 years, there's been this whole rise of application software and different tools and apps that individuals use, you know, as a consumer or in the enterprise. And, you know, one fascinating stat to watch is if you look at the number of apps per employee being used within a different company, Okta actually puts out an annual survey on this and that, that number is just like steadily risen. And so now one really interesting question is with you know this huge proliferation of apps today, there aren't really great ways to make these applications talk to each other or integrate or create workflows. And so we're now seeing a bunch of really interesting earlier stage companies, whether it's uh, Zapier, whether it's you know Workado, a number of other really interesting companies that are doing this integration work and enabling that. And I think we'll continue to see that. If from like a pure technology perspective, one really interesting trend that's playing out is around streaming data. And mm -hmm. so typically when um, a company would, you know, incorporate data or analyze it, it would typically done 
be done in batches. You'd analyze all your data, grab insights from it. But there's so many things that are continuously gathering ongoing data, whether it's like a sensor in a truck or, you know, even website clicks. And there are a lot more companies now enabling others to work with streaming data and to derive actions and analytics from them. And that was something that previously, you know, companies struggled with. How do you store, manage, monitor this data? And so if you didn't have kind of that foundation, doing analytics on streaming data is very, very hard. But that's kind of this really interesting like tech change that's continuing to take place. Naturally, you know, everyone talks about like enablements in AI and machine learning. Yeah, it's Uh, a big thing. There are a lot of, you know, applications incorporating, um, you know, those types of technologies in different ways. We have an investment in this, you know, we have multiple investments in the space. One of our investments in the space is a company called AnyVision that's uh, operating in the world of facial recognition, which is, you know, increasingly being used in a public safety, um, you know, security context with kind of cameras and doing facial identification. And that's kind of becoming this emerging trend. And so I think there there are a number of things dependent on kind of what space you're looking at that are kind of changing and evolving that area. Yeah, yeah. No, that 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 makes fascinating space. So I would uh, I would concur with what you you just said. I'm sure we'll have lots of people, you know, due to the the, the who you are and the company you represent. I'm sure we'll have lots of uh, CEOs or founders of of companies or people who are in a startup at different roles and positions, or maybe people who are even invested and and shareholders of uh, of that sort of company that are listening to the podcast or this podcast. Um, so if if you had an an advice for those people. What would you tell them is, is you know, what, what advice would you give to a startup founder that is looking to get funding for their company? What, where should they start? What do they need to think about? And how do they get in touch and, and, and start the process? So I think regardless of stage, you want to be very, very crisp on your mm-hmm. story to articulate kind of where you are as a company and where you're going. And I think that's kind of the first step. And then the second step, is to kind of come up with a list of investors you think could be great partners for you, who specifically you think could be a great partner for you and kind of the right introduction in. And then at the early stage, you know, I think a lot of founders get get advice about like, you know, don't spend too many cycles talking to investors, you know, pick one time to do your fundraising, get the right intro in, kind of speak to a bunch of investors close the round, then, you know, you can go back to focusing on your business, which I think, I think is true at both stages. I think one thing that's more true, I think at the later stage is that oftentimes it is based on longer term relationships. So growth investors will know, you know, all the company for long periods of time. I think there'll often be like multiple touch points in an ongoing dialogue and it is kind of a much larger check size. And so it's very helpful to kind of have an ongoing cadence with a couple of firms or people that you might be interested in partnering with down the road. Mm-hmm. That's definitely how I think about, you know, think about yeah. kind of or thinking about our latest. So, so would that mean that, for example, you you may speak to a company that you think is interesting, but you, you, you probably are maybe six months, 12 months, 18 months down the line from investing within because yeah. you want to build up that relationship, you want to see their journey. And basically, you kind of almost do a bit of diligence prior to the the, the, the proper conversation. Is that, is that what you are saying? 
You know, I think that's true. And oftentimes, like the companies we might be speaking to on the growth stage don't need to raise money. You know, mm-hmm. some companies mm-hmm. might be profitable, some might have raised a large round and, you know, aren't thinking about raising anytime soon. And so I think that often, often drives it, or you might, you know, typically, uh, you know, we wouldn't, on the growth stage, a company typically finds product market fit, and then we get involved at a slightly later stage. But having that longstanding relationship from those early stages is just kind of nice to build the relationship because, you know, yes, on, on our end, we're partnering with the entrepreneur, but on the entrepreneur's end, you know, you're making a lifetime commitment or a 10-year commitment with an investor. And so you want to feel really comfortable about your fit with the investor. And, you know, life is too short and you want to surround yourself with kind of the right people and people you enjoy, you know, having that regular cadence with. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's super important on both sides. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. And I think it's uh, it's almost like bringing, you, you kind of bring a new board member as well. So there, there will be a voice that will be constantly with you for the for the foreseeable future. So it's uh, it's like any relationship really. You need to make sure that you, you know exactly what you are getting engaged with. And, and I think it's, it's, it's got to be the, probably the best setup is when you've got the entrepreneur really selecting the investor and the investor is kind of a, almost like a marriage, if you will. And, and everybody yeah. is up here. Everybody wants to get together, which is, which is good. And what about the advice on, on spending the money? I mean, we, I know that you guys said, you, you said, you mentioned earlier on Anushka that you've got different elements like business development, marketing, and you've got probably a, a ton of people that can support you, which means that you, you probably don't just look at the investment from a, a spreadsheet perspective, but, but also you've got some some human power at the back end to to support the the, the entrepreneur that you're around. But do you have like a, a set of rules in terms of how the, the the investment needs to be invested, or do you let the entrepreneur completely go, or is it just a case by case by case basis? I think it really depends on the entrepreneur. So ultimately, kind of they're the one running every element day to day of the business and thinking through you know the right way to allocate that capital, and so. Some businesses you need to spend, you know, significant amounts in sales and marketing. I think that's true for a lot of businesses. And some, you know, there might be like a big R and D element or you know a success element. Uh, and so it, it, I think it really depends on kind of each company and where they're at in their life cycle. No, I, I agree with you. I think that makes sense. I was just wondering if there is a some sort of a formula, but there is not. So I'm glad you 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 cleared that up for me. Um, <laughs> So, if so, you so find getting, out a formula, please let me know. Yeah, well, you know, it would be it would be solving a lot of issues. So, I just wanted to thank you for for your insight today, Anushka. Um, I really appreciate the, the the fact that you take the time. Unfortunately, we're getting to the end of our session today. But if if anyone who's listening to the, the to this podcast would like to get in touch with you, you know, engage with Lightspeed Venture, what was the best way to to engage with you, Anushka? I think email is usually easiest. Anushka at lsvp.com. Yeah, perfect. Well, once again, thank you very much for your time today. It was absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Ray. Really enjoyed this too. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. 
You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.